the latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider. Hello, welcome to this week's 442 Insider podcast. I'm publisher Andy Jackson, and joining me as ever is editor Trevor Trahan. Hello. And our special guest this week is web news hand extraordinaire <laughs> Aidan Norman. Hello. Right, let's uh, kick off. Obviously, there's not a huge amount of football to talk about, so we're going to uh, we're going to split this week's pod into three parts. We're going to talk about some of the local news that's been making headlines on our website uh, in part one. Then we'll look at news from overseas, in particular the transfer and managerial merry-go-rounds in the UK. And then we're going to have a discussion with the story that we broke yesterday about uh, Matai Kesman looking at a move to the A League or iron up the A League. We're going to have a look at um, the marquee system and, and how it's been used by the clubs or, or if indeed it has been used by the clubs and, and have a bit of a discussion into what goes into making the perfect marquee player for the A-League. Um, so that'll be part three. Um, so let's kick off. Uh, local news, obviously the Matildas, uh, our cover stars for this, this month, uh, jetted off. Uh, they had a farewell function, Ado, that, that we yeah. were both out on Monday yeah. night um, at the hotel with friends and family and... Uh, Lucas Neal was on hand, uh, Holger Osik was there, Hamburger was there, um, Mark Abib, Federal Minister for Sport, was there. They all spoke. Mate, what did you make of it? Well, I, th- I think Melissa Barberi summed it up. She's a captain of the Matildas, obviously, and, and just you know, realised how much more the Matildas are in the media spotlight than they were, say, four years ago when I went to a, a little send-off at Sydney Airport where perhaps me and Peter Smith were the only journalists there. <laughs> Um, but a lovely story came out of the night um, with the volcanic ash in Chile. Uh, Melissa and Lisa Devanna, the maverick Matilda, um, were was, was stuck in Melbourne on the morning of this launch. So they hired cars and sped up the Hume Highway. So nothing can stop these girls. They did it in eight hours on double demerits day. So <laughs> I think they might be getting a few, uh, a few speeding fines in the post. And also Nike, Nike well, had not to, far behind had them. to drive up the shirts personally that were supposed to be on a plane that wasn't leaving Melbourne. Yeah. So given that they were all presented with their shirts on the night, that would have been a bit of an anticlimax yeah. if there weren't any shirts there. Yeah. But... Um, I guess you know, one of the things that struck me when you actually, you know, with the girls in the room, is just just how young a lot of them are and how long yeah. how young they look. Yeah, you know, yeah. you sort of when they're on the pitch and they're they're in the gear and they're playing against the other girls, and you, but then when you see them next to someone like Lucas, and you know, you really get a feel for yeah. how young this squad is. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's it's well, it's the youngest World Cup squad ever. Um, and in fact, there was two 16-year-olds, Tegan, Al- Tegan Allen and Caitlin Ford. Um, who are, you know, they're, they're just kids, really. Yeah. Uh, but fantastic young players. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the players, they're all very athletic, but they're not the biggest players. In fact, you know, Cheryl spoke on the night, Cheryl Salisbury. I mean, she's a big, strong, tall defender. We don't have anything like that this yeah. time around. Is that going to be an issue? For, uh, who uh, yeah, I think it can be an issue. I think, I think for years our national team were, was built around a really solid defensive structure. Cheryl, Dialogic and, and Joey Peters just sitting in front. Now we've got a, a far younger and perhaps a, a physically smaller defence. Is there the danger, Ada, you think that we've, we've sort of created a, a, a player or, or, and a style of playing that works in Asia but might not work? On the world stage, where you know a, a lot of the criticisms of the Asian teams on the world stage, men's and women's, is 
great technical football, but struggle physically yeah. or have done. You know, I think we're seeing that addressed more recently. But certainly, when they started qualifying for World Cups, they were they were out muscled a lot. And I, and I know that football has changed. But yeah. do we think that you know they might struggle with that the golf or the, or the you know the 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 increase in the physicality that they're going to find playing against the likes of Norway? I don't think I don't think they're going to struggle against the likes of Norway. I think I think the biggest issue is going to be can some of the younger players, with this lack of experience, will that be the key in this World Cup? Or like Tommy says, as he's told us on a number of occasions, nothing phases these girls. Could they're be very cool. Disguise, so yeah, yeah. There's 13. Exactly. You know, when you're that age, you don't think about the fact that it's your first World Cup. Um, and I think Sarah Walsh, who sadly won't be at the World Cup due to injury, I think she summed it up. She said that this is a team that probably will score a lot of goals but might concede a few as well. So let's hope that uh, we score more than we concede. But I can't wait. It's going to be a really, really mm. interesting first three games. Yeah. In, in this Tommy, Tommy talks about nothing phasing them, but they've not gone to a World Cup yet. That will be the exactly. test. But it's quite an interesting group. You talk about like different styles, obviously done well in Asia. We've now got a European team, a South American team, and an African team. So it, mm. three completely different styles. So that's... Almost one of the most interesting subplots, isn't it, of those yeah. group stages? And, and Tom talks about that, and that they've chosen their their pre-game, the, the two warm-up matches for that against Mexico and England mm. to yep. try and give them, you know, just a little bit of a taster about what they're going to get. Yeah. Obviously, Mexico being the substitute for Brazil and England for Norway. Yeah, so. yeah, and New Zealand as well have just played, which is a substitute yeah. really for Norway again. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think if they can get something out of the first game, I'm really confident they can they can actually win the next two games. So, fifty-one to one or fifty-one, shall yeah, I say, and ten to one the to price win the to win it. Yeah. And that's almost on the Brazil game, isn't it? If they can win that. Yeah. I mean, Mark Abib was talking about go there and win the World Cup. I think it's a little bit, uh, uh, you know, it's a little unlikely that we're going to win the World Cup. But we always say that. We, I remember sitting in the press conference before the Olympics and Frank Lowe said we we're going to go and win a medal. Yeah, I just think it's it's silly. I think you just got to go there and, and, and do your best. Knockout stages have been good on it. I mean, that's oh yeah, you go straight into the quarters. So they could play the USA. If we can knock out the USA, then that's for me. That's great. Um, um, I know, it, I know it's Tommy sort of mixed up his teams quite a lot at the Asian Cup. I mean, wholesale changes between... I mean, is he likely to see that in the World Cup, you think, Hayden? Well, I think, he, you know, he said on Monday that, you know, he doesn't have his starting lineup set in his mind yet. And he was saying that, you know, at least two of the, the young, the really young girls will probably figure in the starting lineup. Mm, he, that's, that's he doesn't amazing. know which two yet. Yeah, I've picked my team for the starting game, which is a 4 2 3 1. So it's Barbieri, Carroll and Uzunlar in the centre, Polkinghorn right. Uh, KK left sitting in front of the two which would be um, Shippard and McCullum three in front as attacking midfielders Simon just in behind uh, Karmas as the lone striker Garriak on the left and Devanna on the right so I think that's pretty much for me that the strongest starting lineup. Kerr coming start off the- with Devanna because yeah. is are you know, we talked to Spencer last week about the fact that she's not a 90-minute player. She's a very explosive player and just can't play at that intensity for 90 minutes. Do we think he'll start with her or do we think he'll bring her on with I, half an hour to go? I, I think he'll he'll start with her and he'll bring Kerr on rather than starting with Kerr and playing yeah. that. But th- that's an optional thing. But she's a very interesting character. We actually spent some time with the team, and she is, uh, you know, she's a, she's a maverick. You know, she's, she's got her own personality, and, it's, and everyone's, you know, everyone's got their different personality Did in she have team. A, yeah, she have a matchstick in her mouth? <laughs> well, spitting on the ground. Well, I mean, I saw, when I saw her for the first time that night, it was like 10 past 7, and, you know, she was in a tracksuit. I'm thinking, here we go again. You know, she's going to get kicked out of the team. But she'd only just <laughs> got off the car. 
from Melbourne. Yeah. So uh, she's um, she's an individual, but uh, I think that's that starting lineup with Kerr coming off the bench and um, uh, maybe one of the younger girls as well. I think that's pretty much for me the, the strongest starting lineup they can they can have for the for the Brazil game. That is. Okay, well, Lu- Lucas uh, had some uh, wise words for the girls. <laughs> his, uh, his, his main piece of advice was don't lose your first game 4 0. Can't argue with that. No, <laughs> no, no. All right, well, they've arrived in Germany. If you're following uh, Melissa and Spencer Pryor on Twitter, you'll see that they're, uh, they're struggling with the jet lag at the moment, but they've arrived safe and sound. So we'll, uh, we'll be following their progress. Uh, and obviously, uh, do we know if SBS is showing the, the, the warm up games? I know they're obviously Don't, all no, the World Cup games are on. But the, yeah, I mean, those are closed door games. I'm not sure whether they're going right, to okay. uh, show them, but. Um, all yeah, right. Can't wait. We're can't staying wait. with the German connection. Uh, the Mariners have claimed that they've not received a new offer yet from Borussia Dortmund for Mustafa and Mini, uh, despite the German press uh, reporting to the contrary that, that they have. Um, the, I think Bild reported that there, there was an offer of 340000 Aussie dollars on the table, um, but the Mariners have said that, that that's not the case. They haven't received a new offer yet. Ado, you got any insight into this? Well, built love uh, Mustafa. Uh, they uh, likened him to a, a German uh, animation character recently. Uh, I can't remember the name of the character, but they certainly have taken to the uh, the Musti uh, mu- the Musti uh, persona very quickly. Um, look, I haven't spoken to Buddy, uh, his agent, for a little while, so um, I'll probably speak to him in the next couple of days to get a little bit more clarity on where this is happening. But um, clearly, it's an issue. Clearly, it's an issue. The club don't want him to go. The agent believes that the price is right. Um, and they're desperate to go. So um, uh, Musti's playing the Sunday in the Olympic game uh, yeah. against Yemen, which is a, a very important game, um, on, on his home ground as well. So we shall see what happens. Very interesting. Okay. I mean, there's shades of the, the Langerak uh, deal with the same club in uh, exactly. Melbourne. It went back and forth, and it got a little bit sort of messy with Langerak sort of speaking out against the club. Let's hope it doesn't uh, come to that, and they can find some common ground. Mm. I think... I mean, let's be honest, if a player wants to go, they're, they're going to struggle to keep him here, particularly in the A-League. Yeah, and, he, and you know, you don't want an unhappy player, and uh, I think Arnie's got to make the decision, or the club's got to make the decision sooner or later, because they don't have a playmaker if he goes, so they're going to have to decide. Yeah, because Perez, Perez forward, is gone. So um, I think if the player wants to go, work out a deal yeah. and let him go, and let him develop there. Well, he was in action, and sparkling action, uh, as the Oliroos had their final warm-up game before the, uh, the doubleheader that matters against Yemen for a place in the uh, group stages for London 2012. Uh, Kev, God bless him, was out <laughs> Great there. Coverage. Was out Great coverage. Was Hill actually taking video footage on his phone. <laughs> And managed to catch a fantastic goal, like great build-up, patient build-up. If you uh, if you want to get onto the website, um, and he's got the pictures there. It was an awful day. I mean, the weather we've been having here in Sydney has been been awful all week. Uh, and he braved the elements to go out there and watch uh, the Oliroos beat Singapore six uh, nil with goals from Kofi Dani, Aaron Moy, Jason Hoffman, Marco Yesic, Mustafa Amini, and Aziz Bayic. So six different scorers and. I mean, he scored a cracker, which you can see. So Kev uh, auditioning for a Fox Sports cameraman yeah. role there. I wonder how much rubbish he got on his phone where it just sort of beat yeah. out for a series of I, I must admit, I thought that. I thought, how many passages of play <laughs> must he have filmed to get that one? Um, I mean, let's talk about the games next week. Obviously, a massive advantage for, for Australia with the games being moved because of the unrest in Yemen. Mm. So we, we're playing in Gosford and then Newcastle. Mm. Uh, do we see this... 
being a banana skin, or do we think that this this should be a route, two routine wins and away we go? I know nothing about Yemeni football. I'll be honest. So let, let's assume we're better than them. That's how it works. <laughs> we don't know I can only assume that they'll, they'll feel the cold more than we do. Um, I assume that over in Yemen it's a little bit hotter. Um, but just going back to that game against Singapore, I mean, it, it, this, is a, this is an Ollie Roo team that some have said is, is arguably uh, you know, struggling to... We always compare Ollie Roo teams to the team in 92. That, that, that's, that's what's happened ever since 92 when we went all the way to almost the final in 92 in Barcelona. So they always get compared to that team. So it's going to be tough for them to be compared to any of those teams, particularly the 92 lot, but... Um, I think Bazanich's captain is a great idea. I think he's a great lad, yeah. great player, mm. um, and I think he'll be back overseas over the next year or two as well, especially if we qualify. Well, I spoke to Kevin about Aaron Moy because he's in our next issue. Yeah. So I'm careful. 442's not to, Aaron four, Moy. Yes, 442's Aaron Moy. Um, about how well he was, and he just said he was, I know it was only Singapore, which is an easy thing to say, but mm. he said he was out of this world and far better than what you'd expect from a, a St. Mirren midfielder. Yeah. But I suppose the thing is, who's he going to get picked up by? Yeah, and who's also, sc- who's scouting St Mirren? And that weather would have been perfect as well. <laughs> uh, that could be well, Aaron Nash. Yeah. <laughs> so that Ado's phone is always on. Yeah. That's why he's so good at what he does. All right, so we should see off Yemen without any problems. Uh, well, I, I mean, I, I guess, I mean, to be honest. I was talking to Hanberg on Monday night, and he said, "Well, if we can't, then we don't deserve to be there anyway." Yeah. You know? So I guess that is the the right attitude to have. You know, we have to beat these teams. Uh, I'm sure that it probably won't be as easy as a lot of people are thinking. I'm it sure never it'll is. It's tough, particularly yeah. the first sort of half an hour. But certainly, the the way that the Ollie Roos have have been playing uh, and the style of football they've been playing. Um, certainly stands us in good stead. One player that, that is missing, or actually two players that are missing, two of the, probably the, the brightest stars of the Ollie is, uh, is Tommy Orr and Matthew Leckie, who have both sort of been excused. Tommy Orr, at the request of his club, uh, has been excused. Already, Abid Mar has, uh, has uh, accepted that. And obviously, Leckie is still coming back to full fitness. Uh, so when you think that those two lads have still got to come back in, yeah. Uh, it's potentially a, a decent side that we could take. And, and, and essentially, what we've never had this before, is that we've got the young Socceroos and the Oliroos. Essentially, it's almost like one squad because they're training together a lot mm. uh, up until last month. And in fact, we've got Musti playing for the Oliroos now. Um, in fact, you could probably have three or four of the Oliroos who are young Socceroos. So uh, we've never really seen that before. Um, and I think it says something about the quality of the young Socceroos as opposed to the Oliroos, that they're good enough to even make the 23s. Okay. Uh, well, Robbie Fowler uh, may have left Perth Glory, but he hasn't left the Perth Glory forums. He, was, uh, he went on to, uh, to the internet this week and uh, defended himself and put a few fans right. It's always good How to many see. stories come through Twitter now? We're all the Joey Love Barton it. stuff that quotes off Twitter. Love it. Uh, there was debate about whether on, online amongst Perth fans about whether Robbie Fowler deserved uh, what has been billed as a farewell game when Perth take on Celtic. And he, he himself went on there and said, no, I don't deserve a farewell game. Um, but this is an opportunity for me to come back and, uh, and say goodbye to a lot of people that I made good friends with. And, and I'm going to play for nothing. You know, it's, uh, so get off my back. Sort of thing. Mm. Uh, so that shut a few people up. Mm. Uh, always nice to see a player bites back. Yeah. Did you see the one with Jamie Carragher when Jamie Carragher rang into that 
yeah. uh, radio host that had yeah. been giving it to yeah. him, and he uh, resigned from it. Well, he said he didn't want to play for England anymore. Yeah, but do you remember Fra- Lampard as well? Fra- I was about yeah. to say Lampard. And Lampard was well Ooh, within was his rights to ring up as yeah. well. Somebody talking. said he was irresponsible as a parent or something. Well, yeah, like he was that. saying that they'd sort of they've got a kid and they'd sort of split up, yeah. and he was going, "Well, I, I know the DJ was going. I, I know I would have fought." Two for now to keep that marriage together. I mean, he had yeah. no idea what was going on in Frank Lampard's yeah. personal life, yeah. so good on Frank. Yeah. Uh, Adam Federici, who uh, starred for the Socceroos last week uh, against in the 0 0 draw against Serbia, um, has said that he's going to ponder his club future over the next few weeks. Uh, obviously, his club side, Reading, narrowly missed out on promotion, got getting beat in the final at Wembley uh, by Swansea. Uh, he's got two years left on his deal at Reading, but um, I would imagine that if uh, Premier League team came in and the money was right for Reading that I'm sure he'd jump at the opportunity well, West Ham. 26 now yeah. we need I, a keeper well, I'm sort of Le- set a, a step up yeah Nolan Reading. Nolan didn't mind 28 year old Premier League scorer <laughs> lads I mean you were in, in at the Serbia game you saw him play I mean what do you think is he an APL quality player um, could he make the effort I mean he's 26 now with, he's been around a while yeah what yeah do you no, think? I, I think so I, mean, I, I don't think we're going to see him go to a top six side but I think certainly you know the, the the, the, the bottom half, middle half of the Premier League, I think, would certainly be a, a spot for him. I guess at his age, you know, he probably needs to be playing first-team football. I don't think, you know, it's all very well like a Mitch Langerak at 20, sitting on the bench of somewhere like Dortmund. I don't think at 26 you need to be sitting on the bench as an understudy. So mm. I think he needs to be playing first-team football. Um, but again, you know, the financial lure of the Premier League, even as a as an understudy keeper who's probably too big as we've seen with the likes of Brad Jones at Liverpool you know yeah. it's just too too much money to turn down mm. yeah. or, or is, the, is the prospect of playing regularly because he'll be a soccerer number one I think you know in the next perhaps World Cup cycle we'll but see. the challenge he's got to be playing every week yeah, for his club exactly. you know, I think that's, that's yeah. the key thing I, I, I think where he is at the moment I think he's about championship level I think his best chance of Premier League is getting promoted with, with mm. Reddy looking at the keepers in the Premier League what do yeah. you think of his performance against Serbia? Yeah, well, I yeah. Well. yeah. It was impressive. Yeah. I think he's coming on brilliantly. Yeah. All right, that's yeah. it for part one. We'll be back in part two to have a look at the transfer merry-go-round and the managerial merry-go-round, something that I've got a fair bit to say on. Uh, <laughs> after this break, so join us in part two. The July issue of 442 Magazine is on sale now. This month you get to choose your cover between the Matildas or the 20 rising stars of world football, including interviews with Jack Wilshere and Neymar, plus a profile on the madness of Mario Balotelli. Elsewhere we name the top five Aussie teen sensations with Kerem Bullitt and Matt Ryan interviews. We're in Berlin with Nikita Rukovica, plus the 30 maddest refereeing moments. If it's in the game, it's in 442, on sale now. The latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider. Hello, welcome back to this week's 442 Insider podcast. We're going to head over to the UK now, avoiding the ash cloud. Lads, Trev, let's let's kick off with West Ham. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Overnight news with you signing a Nolan. As I tweeted last night, I thought you were in the running for Bernadette or... uh, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, it's Kevin. We heard about this story like a week or so ago, and I'll be honest, I dismissed it as nonsense. And I, I felt that... Turned out that we did actually bid, but then I thought we'd just bid in for a bit of good PR so that Gold and Sullivan look like they're interested. Um, and yeah, well, from understanding, he's going to be announced in the next 24 hours. He's, he's heading down for a medical, so 28 year old. You know, is Premier he only 28? Yeah. I thought he was older than that. Premier League captain. So is this um, the Allardyce factor? Obviously, yeah. they were together at, at Bolton and he was his captain at Bolton. Completely. There's no, there's, I, I can't see any other reason why. I mean, um, 
sort of West Ham fans are moaning about, well, Big Sam bringing in all his old players. But when it's someone like Nolan, you can't really complain. When he was in the Championship two seasons ago and he, he got 18 goals from midfield and 4 yeah. 2 in the UK, gave him best player outside the Premier League. Um, you know, he, he wasn't cut above. So that that's a huge signing. And new captain, you'd imagine, yeah. with Scott Yeah, Parker, I, I right? would have thought that the, the Allardyce factor and the, the offer of the captain, captaincy. Parker wasn't our captain, by the way. Upson was. Really? Yeah, every, every, everyone thought Parker was our captain because he played like a captain and Upson played like an idiot. But um, no, Upson was our captain. So we can expect Kevin Davis leading the line soon. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's going to so be I beautiful. Ask you, what, what direction is West Ham taking? Do you, do, you, are they, do you feel that they're philosophically starting to change the direction? Because it's always been a good footballing club. Yeah, I think that's a bit of a myth. I don't think West Ham have, have necessarily played you know, the Bobby Moore way since Bobby Moore left. Um, they've got like a good pedigree of academy players. They, they play reasonable passing football, but you know we didn't. You know under Kerbishley we we didn't play passing football. Under, under most of the managers that we don't. So it's a bit of a myth that West mm. Ham fans go on about. That isn't really true. Mm. I think the time with crippling debt and a massive stadium to move into, we just need to get back mm. in the Premier League. And Allardyce will give us the best chance of doing that. And Nolan, a good signing. Yeah, incredible signing. Yeah. Yeah, incredible sign. I mean, if you were a Premier League club, you, you know, a mid-table only, you'd be happy with getting Nolan to be a Championship club. Um, it's good and good to get it in before the wholesale change because it's always upsetting because everyone's going to go. Obviously, all the other all the other lot are going to go. Lo- Boa Moy might be going to Norwich as well. I read. You believe someone's coming He's in? He's still for... playing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's the goings on at Trev's club. Yep. Now in the Midlands. Wow. <laughs> what can I say? Um, the rumour is that Alex McLeish was interviewed for the Villa job. Let, let me just put this into context. For those of you that aren't familiar with Birmingham and the Aston Villa-Birmingham rivalry, this is the equivalent of Neil Lennon going to manage Rangers or Kenny Dalglish going to manage Man United or, Arsene, or Arsene Wenger going to manage Spurs. This is about the same as that. Or Guardiola going to manage Real Madrid. Yeah, there are certain things in football that don't happen. And Aston Villa poaching, good Lord, being reported for supposedly tapping up Birmingham City's manager. Birmingham City's manager, who's had them relegated twice in four years. His work for Villa is done. Two relegations is enough. (laughs) Don't need any more from you, Agent McLeish. But yeah, so for all the talk of Ancelotti and... Moyes, it looks like we're going to end up with Alex Really? McLeish. Do you still think it's McLeish? You were talk, no, still no, talking about no, Moyes this there's morning. There's a little bit of an insider that reckons that, that it's a bit of smoke and mirrors. But Who do you want know. to see, Jacko? I'd like to see David Moyes. Moyes would be great. Yeah. I'd, I know, and to be fair, I'd rather see Mark Hughes than Alex McLeish, mm. um, who still seems to be sort of out of a job and don't really know what's going on there. And how would you describe the Julio uh, era? Well, it was hardly an era, was it? It was nine months. Um, uh, I, you know, I, I think whoever was going to inherit that squad from Martin O'Neill, it was a time bomb waiting to happen. There were way too many players. <laughs> Martin O'Neill. Way too many players on fat checks that weren't justified and, you know, there needed to be a clear out. And I could see what he was trying to do, the way he was trying to make us play football. I think Martin O'Neill played a style of football that got us to sixth, but wasn't capable of getting us any further. You know, the, the, the counter-attacking football, sit back, hit on the break, will only get you so far. You know, particularly when you then come up, when you then get to fifth and fourth or sixth, and teams sit back and don't attack you, you need a little bit more guile and a little bit more. Isn't sixth you know, a good season for Villa though? Yeah, I think it probably is, but you know, 
I just like, I just can't comprehend having a Birmingham City manager at Villa Park. I just. Or is it, or is it Alex McLeish? No, so? I, I, I don't have a problem with Alex McLeish. You know, I think he's, he comes across as a nice bloke, genuine bloke. He didn't do a bad job with Scotland. You know, they played some decent. But to me, it's more the style of football that he's played, and he's just got a Premier League team relegated twice in four years. You know, <laughs> Birmingham City over the last two years have scored less than a goal a game. You know, that's not what I want to see. It doesn't matter. You know, but also I just think. I, there's a lot of furor, obviously. The, the, the training ground was vandalised yesterday. There were, I saw a picture of that on a, the Guardian. There's a, a Facebook page that has got 15,500 followers saying we don't want Alex McLeish at Villa Park. Um, I wish 15,500 people would make their voices heard at a few home games. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, there was protests at the ground last night. I mean, this is a massive story in Birmingham. I mean, the Birmingham press are going nuts over this. Yeah. You know, this, I mean, only once has this ever happened, and that was when Ron Saunders left Villa. When Ron Saunders walked out on Villa in 1982, and we went on to win the European Cup with the side that he built, he was then un- he was then you know didn't work for three or four months or two months, and then ended up as being Birmingham City manager. But at no point has there ever been a, a managerial sort of movement between the two clubs. But I mean, is it too emotional a way of looking at it? Because from you know from their point of view, an available available manager well, who, who already lives in the area, it's an easier move for him to re, you know to break it down. Oh, he lives as, in the area. Oh yeah, I mean he's not got to move you know down south or he's not got to change. <laughs> it's an easy move for him. Yeah, but he's just got a team relegated. They just won the a cup though. That, it appears that our, cup, that our two managerial our two main managerial targets finished eighteenth and seventeenth last season. So, so but. You know, yeah, are they really the people that are going to take us back to you know top half challenging for Europe? But the thing is, we don't know about who's available. I mean, who's who's well, up? Mark for, Hughes who, is available. Who's yeah. up for the job? I'd have rather Steve McLaren than Alex McLeish or Hiddink. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah, Hiddink wouldn't come to Villa. But anyway, I, I think this is still going to rumble on. I mean, nothing's been a, nothing's been yeah confirmed apart from Villa have confirmed that they will be interviewing him. Um, this, uh, the Mirror are reporting it as a done deal, but I don't think it is yet. But it's, there's another, uh, I reckon, by the end of the week. I mean, the important thing is is that you know, if it is Alex McLeish and, and they've made their decision, then get him in uh, because, you know, we've got Stuart Downing that's dilly-dallying over a new contract. You know, we need a goalkeeper. Mm. Ashley Young's about to go to Man United. You know, there is a lot of work to do. Jacko, as a Villa part. fan, what yeah. does McLeish need to say in his first press conference if he does take over? Delight to be here. I've always supported yeah. Villa. Yeah, the Robbie Keane school of. Uh, <laughs> oh, I haven't even thought that far ahead. You know, I, you know, with the, with the, I think this is this has split the Villa fan base 100 percent down the middle. There mm. are people that are just adamant that we should never employ a Birmingham City player or or you know manager. Then there are people that are like, it's not the fact that he's coming from Blues. It's the fact that he plays dour football. His mm. teams don't score goals. In the, when they needed to win at Spurs on the last day of the season, he played eight-one-one pretty much. Mm. You know, it, it, so but you know, and then there's people that are belittling the fans that are protesting because they're saying that you know, the quote I had last night was just funny: was, "You're turning us into Newcastle." <laughs> Aston Villa fans do not turn up at the ground and protest. Yeah, you know, they've like, really laid off. Like, I agree with the thinking of I don't like his style of football, but you know, just because he's been at a rival club, I mean, I don't have Harry Redknapp back at West Ham. 
wouldn't bother yeah, me. Yeah, but I just think London's different because yeah, you've got it's you've more split, Alex isn't it? Teams, you know, it's like you know, could you imagine Alex Ferguson going to Man City? Trevor, have you ever spent any time in Birmingham? I have. Yeah, I, mean, I, I know have, what yeah. it's like. No, it is, and exactly. Yeah, it I don't, no, 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 no. I'm not it, doubting genuine that. Genuine hatred. I'm yeah, not yeah. doubting that attitude exists. I'm just doubting how rational it is. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, it, it's irrational. But football <laughs> support is irrational. Yeah, true. Otherwise, we'd all support a successful team. But anyway, all right, enough about Villa. I could talk for hours. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, the goings on at Chelsea. There's a fair bit going on there, as always. Uh, they're still managerless. Uh, Hiddink remains the, the prime candidate. Um, the chief executive is, is hopeful that the uh, Ron Gurley has said that he's hopeful uh, that the search is coming to an end, but he's not been drawn on, on whether that's Hiddink, although he, he would appear to be the favourite. Um, that's what we link to this. Obviously, he's still the situation is is, is, is he's still contracted as the Turkish boss, uh, but I guess that will come to an end if they don't qualify for the Euros, which is around September, October, I think is the last mm. qualifying round. Yeah. Um, well, we've spoken about Hiddink before, and we know he's a bit of an opportunist, don't we? You know, swoop into a job that looks very hard, but he's got the ability to to make it look very easy. Um, I think it's uh, a little bit different with the sort of Chelsea job, especially if it's going to be a permanent appointment. Um, I mean, he's certain, he'd be my first choice if I was a Chelsea fan. You he's know, always he's tended like, to like, bar his time at PSV, he's always been a bit of a sort of project manager, yeah, as in come yeah, in, yeah. set time, like with Australia, yeah. set objective, set time which to achieve it, get out. You know? Yeah, yeah I mean, that's the sort of manager he is. Um, and it also takes the pressure off a little bit because he's just going in for a short term. Yeah. He's not building a club apart from perhaps PSV. Yeah. I, I think Jason played under him. I'm pretty sure. Did yeah. Jason play under him? So, uh, yeah, I'd be if I was a Chelsea fan, I'd want him back. Um, but you know, how long would he stay for? You know, yeah. That's what, it, what's yeah. his I mean, game plan? It's, it's not, is it another one, two-year contract, or is it to build a club uh, and be a successful club in the future? I mean, is it to win the Champions League? I mean, that's what. Abramovich wants above yeah, everything else is it coming to do that yeah. and then you know perhaps he'll go to yeah. another international job yeah I mean there still remains talk about um, the fact that Hiddink doesn't want a full time job and you know that, that potentially there would be a coach that, a day to day coach that comes in underneath him and there was rumour of that being Van Basten the question is could that be Hughes or could you that know, be he's, he's, you know, obviously Mark Hughes ended, you know, ended his playing career at Chelsea there's a link there you know, he, is that what he's waiting for is to well who gets the sort of director of football role or will Hiddink mm. bring someone Dutch like Van Basten mm. I mean, that's a good combo Hughes and Hiddink you'd have to feel wouldn't you and with a couple of years of Hiddink and well, then the move on to what about to the Porto manager in Hiddink yeah, 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 although he's, oh. he's pretty much committed himself to another year. He's a talented so. young yeah. manager. Very, I mean, he'll be in the Premiership at some point, but, um, you know, under Hiddink, you never know. Yeah. Mm. Could be interesting. Well, bizarrely, even though they haven't got a manager, Chelsea are still bidding on players, so we can only <laughs> guess who's doing that. Um, they bid £22 million last night for uh, Luka Modric, uh, which is brilliant. I've got a nice little $20 bet that Modric won't be a Spurs player. That, that was funny, watching that conversation with the person you've got that bet with this um, morning. You've got a Macca, a very big Spurs fan in our office, will not accept that Modric is a, it will go. Uh, Tottenham have uh, dismissed £22 million. Um, I heard on Twitter a couple of the UK journalists have said that, uh, you know, despite Tottenham saying that he's not for sale, that they're, they're, if they can get up to 30 million they'd probably look at cashing in on him uh, one thing that might make be a mate weight in that obviously is Didier Drogba who is uh, 
He's been offered a two-year deal, but he's holding out for a three-year deal. And given that he's 33, I mean, that's mm. probably a, a big ask. Obviously, the, the, the purchase of Fernando Torres, the big money purchase of Torres, cast a, a doubt as to Drogba's long-term future at the club. Um, Harry Redknapp's been quite vocal in the fact that he wants another striker. Do we see potentially... Good little that that's twenty five million plus Drogba being what tempts Spurs or yeah I mean that that's a Harry signing as well Drogba someone like they you know, talk about opportunists he's like that with players isn't he yeah. um, and talk to the Tottenham fan world this morning I think they'd be pretty happy solving a massive I mean they're overflowing with midfielders um, well overflowing with strikers as well but not ones that can score so to get Drogba there proven Premier League scorer you know, in Europe good condition well. yeah yeah. Um, yeah I think that Tottenham would I think. I think if Tottenham could get something like 25 million and Drogba, that's a great deal for him. Yeah. And obviously, Alex Ferguson at Man United's a, a long time admirer of Modric. And so, you know, again, that could see the price spiral if it gets into a bit of a bidding war. Ferguson tends not to do his business like that. But, um, yeah. But, yeah, or yeah, do Man United just come in and go, here's 30 million, we want him. Yeah. And yeah. Harry and Sir Alex get on pretty well. So I think if there was anything Very that would happen, that, that it would be done in the proper way. Yeah. Do you, right. rate, do you rate Modric? Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I, I, yeah, I like think him. He's, he's a quality player. Certainly, as uh, over the last, you know, two, you know, the last season especially, has, has shown the signs that he's he's got to grips with the the physical demands, mm-hmm. and, he, and he still remains like a will of the wisp sort of yeah, yeah. physical. But you can't get the ball from apparently. Yeah, yeah. it's the Spanish the thing, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's not Spanish, but you know, it's the Spanish style where it doesn't matter how small you are if you can't get the ball from yeah. anyway. Yeah. Um, talking of uh, Spanish midfielders, Cesc Fabregas, here we go again. <laughs> the Fabregas to Barcelona. Is it the closed season annual, again? Annual saga begins again. I love uh, it when players start talking about Arsenal defender Bakary Sanya has actually now come out and said, yeah, he wants to join Barcelona, uh, but hopes that Nasri will stay at the North London club. Obviously, there's been talk of uh, Nasri leaving. Um, you would sort of think that if they let Fabregas go Nasri is the natural replacement yeah. to build that midfield around can't him can't lose both of them no. I mean I thought Nasri was excellent in Fabregas' uh, absence last season um, if they lost both of them that's really really tough yeah. to see how an Arsenal team that needs to be that needs to be strengthened yeah. on top of that not losing players yeah, yeah. Um, it's, is it going to happen um, well, Barcelona sort of strangely announced their transfer budget for the summer didn't they they sort of see a 41 million UK which would be about pretty much exactly about what pretty much be Fabregas. <laughs> Fabregas yeah. Where would you fit Fabregas into that team? Well, that's it. I mean, that's. I mean, that's he can't get the Spanish team, can he? Because of the players. How that do you how do you fit the Barca in? midfield? Um, I think unless one of the Iniesta or Xavi's leaving, he, I can't see him. I can't see him playing anywhere. But he the, plays right in the middle. But yeah. I think I think what they're looking at is that you know that if you assume that Barcelona are, are going to be competing on, you know, four and five, you know, four competitions, aiming to get to the Champions League final. They're probably going to be playing the best part of 60 to 65 games. There's a European Championships next year. Um, you know, I, I think you might see Fabregas go there and rotate regularly with with Xavi and Iniesta. You know, Iniesta's not been. 100% fit for a while, missed big chunks of the season. And his um, mates are there. I mean, I know it sounds like a simplistic thing to say, but he's, you know, he is very, very close to his Spanish teammates and his Barcelona team, well, soon to be Barcelona teammates. Yeah, but it's also, you know, you forget that, I think, what is he, 23? Yeah. He's still only 23, and, and Xavi and Niesta are both sort of 30, 31 now, 32. So, you know, 
he he can go to Barcelona now, play the, or figure in half of their games, but be mm. the natural sort of successor and probably future captain of that side for for the next ten years. Yeah, yeah. I just t- yeah. We were talking talking about Wenger this morning about who he needs to sign, and this is a massive he, summer for Arsenal. Well, it, massive. It's, it's him. Yeah, he's going to have to now go so far out of his comfort zone. He doesn't like signing one player, you know. Now he's potentially got to sign four or five. Yeah, and okay. I and I would contest that a couple of very unvenger signings would be Charlie Adam. Well, I mean, he's that's what I was thinking. Well, he, well I'm thinking Scott Parker and Schwarzer because I think Parker and Samba as well from Blackburn is, is yeah, a room Samba's of time. an excellent player. Yeah. You know, if, if he got those three, like a you know, not the sort of technical. You know, younger player that you expect from Wenger. If he signed those three as the new sign Fabri- of his team, Fa- Fabregas, oh, kept yeah. Fabregas as well. But yeah. you know, really interesting to see what Wenger does because the last time he sort of broke that model of bringing for the young players was Arshavin, that started well and has ended horrendously. Like mm. he's well out of colour. I, th- I think this time next year, if he hasn't got it right in this off season, I think he may be moved on. I well, really certainly, you know, because he, if they he, don't win he, another title or another. Well, how, yeah, how long can he go? I mean, yeah, exactly. I respect Wenger and been, love the way Arsenal play, but I mean, how you know how many more years can they not win something? Well, certainly, the you know the the fans' dissatisfaction that they showed at the at the end of the season was yeah. sort of you know sort of the light which you'd not seen before there, yeah. and you think, okay, if he doesn't strengthen the side or they're not happy with how he strengthened it and they have a bad start to the season, you know, do we see the pressure uh, getting too much from there and him saying it's just not worth it? Yeah. yeah. What would happen then? Who would come but it's in? Interesting, yes. you know, because if you look, okay, well, where would Wenger go with his philosophy that you know is set up like that? You know, because Real Madrid and Barcelona will not accept not winning things. You know, for the sake of their football. Well, victory know. is still looking for a coach. Yeah, right. that. You know, so it's, <laughs> still, it's difficult to see where he would go next. But also, yeah. you know, I'm sure he's, he's a wealthy enough man not to have to work for a while if he doesn't want to. He'll certainly get any any sort of technical director well, or any club yeah. in mean, the world. If Guardiola does quit, if he does quit over the next year or two, I mean that that's the obvious choice, really, isn't it? Yeah, but, but be he hasn't, there, it? You know, he hasn't come through the club, but it would be a sort of a like for like. Yeah. Be interesting. And then coaches Fabregas at Barca. There you go. <laughs> All right. That's it for part two. Uh, we will be back uh, just after this break to talk about uh, Matai Keshman, who's uh, eyeing up a move to the A-League, but a wider discussion on the uh, A-League marquee system and, and whether we'll see it uh, used a little more effectively this season. So join us after the break. We all have goals, but sometimes we need a little help along the way. The best advice and assistance on your journey can make an enormous difference. Tiger Management and PR represents up-and-coming and established TV and radio presenters, performers and sports people. So if you're wondering how you'll rise to the next level, engage the services of Tiger Management and PR and you'll no longer be alone. Call 1-300-784-212 to find out more or visit tigermanagement.com.au. Back to 442 Insider. Hello and welcome back to this week's 442 Insider podcast. We're going to spend a little bit of time now uh, looking forward to the A-League season, but but from the point of view really of... uh, of the marquee situation. Um, Matiah Keshman, let's have a chat about him briefly. Uh, Trev, you got this tip oh, off. Right. He's, uh, he's available. Did um, some journalism. Blew A-League. the dust off the keyboard. A-League's <laughs> on his radar. I mean, let's have a look at his career. Um, he's, uh, you know, in total, his total career, he's 
played 472 games and scored 238 goals. Not a bad return for a striker. Mm. Obviously came to attention, uh, he was at Partizan, uh, 98 to 2000, scored 33 in 54 games. Then it was really PSV in a four-season spell where he scored 105 goals in 122 games for PSV that earned him the move to Chelsea, which didn't really work out. He scored four goals in 25 games. But since then, he's gone to Atletico Madrid, Fenerbahce. Uh, he scored 27 in 46 games in Fenerbahce. Uh, ended up playing a four-month stint in South China this year, and that's now come to an end. He's uh, scored 19 international goals in 49 appearances. Uh, he's, uh, how old is he? 32. What do we think? A-League? Um, yeah. Candidate? Yeah, certainly an A-League candidate. I don't think, um, you could say that it's certainly a bit of a risk. You know, it's not going to be 100% proven that he's going to come here and do well. But I think if the, if the price was right and his demands weren't ludicrous, um, considering you'd be picking him up on a free transfer... And I think he's a, a reasonable punt for quite a lot of teams in the A-League that are a striker short, or a couple of strikers short. But is he a marquee signing? Do you know what? I think he is. I think just about he's a marquee signing, based on look at the current marquee players mm. and the fact that most clubs haven't yeah. even got one. I mean, let's have a look at that. I mean, this, the situation that we're in at the moment is that there are three marquee positions, and these are players outside the salary cap. To the, and that's, there's now an Australian marquee, there's the marquee player and a junior marquee. Um, so, and, and a quick look to the best of our knowledge. Um, Adelaide United, the marquee player is Sergio Van Dyke. They don't have an Australian marquee. They don't have a junior marquee. Brisbane Raw have none. No marquee players, no junior marquee players. Uh, the Mariners have Oliver Bazanich as their junior marquee. Gold Coast have Taj Minicon as their junior marquee. Melbourne Heart have none. Uh, Victory, Archie Thompson is their Australian marquee um, Newcastle, Jason Kalina is their Australian marquee Perth, Shane Smeltz is their marquee player And Millis Dajowski is their Australian marquee Sydney FC, Nick Carl is the Australian marquee uh, And Wellington Phoenix don't have any uh, So Sydney FC, Terry Antonis is their junior marquee So I mean let's have a look, you know Marquee players, non-Australian marquee players in the A-League it, the, the sum total is Sergio Van Dijk and Shane Smeltz. That <laughs> yeah. doesn't strike me as a marquee system that's been used to full effect. No, mm. and I don't even have a massive problem with those two being marquee players because I think you'd struggle to keep Van Dijk in the league unless he was getting that kind of marquee money. My problem is that only two out of the ten teams have got a marquee. Mm. Yeah. You know, and I think you need a couple of real genuine bigger stars in there and then you know a few marquees that are around that level that are proven in that league. Mm. Um, I mean... You know, Hart, which obviously just starting out, so I'm not being critical of them. Particular, I mean, they haven't got anyone. I mean, what, what's the definition? Sort of what's the definition, Ado, in, in your mind of a marquee player? Well, for me, it just always goes back to Dwight York. I think the age, the, the representative of uh, of um, uh, Cashman. James Hardy said, other marquee players who come to Australia for the Sun Beach and women. Well, Dwight came for the Sun Beach and women, but he also delivered. Uh, on the park and off the park with, with media. So for me, a marquee is not just about delivering on the park. It's about being able to, for the money that you spend, which is a lot of money for clubs here, for the money you spend, you need somebody who has a bit of charisma and who knows how to work his persona in the media. Mm. That was Dwight. And no one 
no one has come up to that quality ever since, really, in my opinion. Dickie yeah. Carl's been a, uh, you know, a standout player for most of last season, but you know, no one comes close to Dwight. A Harry Kill would come close, I think. Yeah. Um, Robbie Fowler kind of came close, but the system, the system isn't centralised. It's not like the MLS who decide, well, we'll get you know, this club, that club, that club. It's up to the clubs. And you look at it right now, and it's just no one's got the money to well, buy. The day, yeah, in the day, the clubs are hemorrhaging money. Yeah, um, you know the the, the, TV, the money coming from the FFA isn't going up. The new TV deal's still another year or so away. Can you blame the clubs, Trev, when no. they're looking at it, going? I mean, you know, do do we just add another million dollars to our bottom line that's already red and, and make it more red? Mm. And you know, as we've seen with Sydney FC with with Janino, they're they're one shouldered by Odds away or one tackle away from that investment. Exactly. So, you know, just been yeah. you know, nullified because... Well, well, let's talk about, you know, let's take the Melbourne Heart example. I mean, they've got Scott Munn there, who's a, a very bright, savvy football administrator, and, and he has to be conscious that he needs to keep the club running. Mm. And I'm sure he'd tell us that there's a reason we don't have marquees mm. at any level, that the money isn't there yet. You know, and they have to make sure that the future of the club you know, mm. is maintained ahead of everything else. So even in a perfect world, they'd all have marquees of a reasonable level. It's probably not practical at the moment, as disappointing as it is. The discussion that seems to be going around at the moment is, should the FFA do a MLS style? You know, should they come to the part of the moment? I mean, if they do, they have to do it for every club equally. Yeah. They can't just go, oh, we'll fund and Harry. And they, they got the money no. for that. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. So, I mean, mm. when I say things, you know, like Van Dyke and, you know, Schmelz are reasonable marquee players, I, I think they are. You know, I just think it's, you know, a little bit disappointing. I mean, I'd, it'd be good if Brisbane, yeah, I can see Matt Mackay becoming the Australian marquee at Brisbane if he, if mm-hmm. he stays. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it, even just one or two big marquee players somewhere. Um, you see, for me, the definition for me of a marquee player is that, even the away fans, yeah. or when that when that team plays away, he, he puts bums on seats at home and away games. You know, I don't think that that Adelaide coming to to Sydney or to Melbourne, the fact that Sergio Van Dijk is Adelaide's marquee player means that anyone goes to that game that wasn't going to go already. I think, know, and that's what yeah. we saw with Dwight. Dwight. We saw away crowds go up by ten percent when when Sydney went to town. And if you've got all of the clubs play in that game, then everyone benefits because they get bigger crowds at home, they get bigger crowds away. And We saw that with Robbie Fowler, I think, when they played in Sydney. I think there was an estimate of about 1,600 new fans came to that game because of Robbie Fowler. I think there were 16,000 right. at that particular game. Oh, it was more than that. It was over 20, I think. I think it was probably more when he like scored 12. that really great yeah, goal. it was more than that. It was, more um, than, it was 12 or 20, just over 20,000. So I, th- I think, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, it's got to be somebody who uh, attracts fans from other clubs. Otherwise... I mean, let's ask the question. Would Cashman attract fans in Melbourne, Adelaide? Well, I mean, as, you... as, we, as we saw last week, you know, there's probably five or 6,000 Serbian fans that were, that were at Etihad. Adelaide. Would they all of a sudden get behind the team that, that he, he went and played for? We don't know. I, think, know? He's, I think he's the sort of marquee that would need to be playing well to get that interest. I think there's certain marquees that even, you know, Fowler hadn't scored in eight games where people were still interested in coming and watching him play. Um, so I think Kesmo would need to come and really hit the ground running and then the interest would come mm. from there because we could talk about this guy that's played in the Premier League and scored these goals. Yeah, I mean, I mean I, there's other debate I, that says, the other side of this debate says, well, do we need marquee players? When we're able to go and find, and clubs have proved that, you know, Adelaide can go and find Marcus Flores, Brisbane can go and find Thomas Browich, 
do we need a marquee system? Well, in the absence of, of a real marketing plan from FFA, I think we do. Until they step up to the plate, I, I think it's something that the clubs and the owners, unfortunately, have to look at. But I just, just going back to Cashman, his last club was, I think, South China. I mean, he yeah. scored a few, few goals there, but I just don't think that that really... South China, then the A-League. It just doesn't really have that marquee ring to it. Dwight was still playing at a very high level. I think he was playing at was it Birmingham when he came here. Mm. Yeah. But, mm. I mean, has Dwight skewed our view yeah, of what a marquee think, should be? Because he's, is he a one Everybody off? keeps relating it to Dwight, and I think he was probably a unique person. And also in a unique set of circumstances. It was, it was the first know, he year. He also had a, a very big motivational factor, which was the, which was the World Cup. You know, that had he not had the opportunity to take Trinidad and Tobago to their first World Cup, which luckily was that 2006 winter, mm. our winter mm. European summer, I think that was a very big carrot for him to stay fit and stay focused. Mm. You know, and I think had that not been there, maybe we would have seen a different Dwight York. Or, you know, if it was Shevchenko and that Cashman, as we... Well, there was a little chat. We got a tip. We actually got... The tip that we got was that uh, there was a chance of a a marquee player that was a striker from Chelsea that had played under Mourinho. And we were like... We did come up with Cashman straight away. But then we also thought about Gudjonsson and then we thought about Shevchenko, who has been rumoured to be willing to consider a move, Danny. And then we were putting two and two together... Russian owner of uh, Sydney FC. No, it was Cashman. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, who would be? Yeah, okay. Let's let's crystal ball. You know, you're running an A League team. Uh, who would be your? Who would be on your list? Yeah. Who would be the sort of players that you would go? Okay, you guys are running Sydney FC, or you're running Melbourne Heart, who haven't got a, a marquee, and say, right, okay, we need we need someone that's going to put bums on seats. Uh, it's going to convert people. It's going to get people down to watch our club for the first time. The other side of it, which is an interesting angle now, which is a massive factor in, the, in, in Europe around a lot of these deals, is the decentralisation of the kit uh, deal, which is obviously now gives more revenue back to the clubs because to, you know that, that now they can do that equation. Right, well, hang on a minute. How many shirts are we going to sell with Shevchenko 7 on the back? Mm. And um, you have to factor all of that in. Um, yeah. who, who, would be, uh, you know, who would be the sort of players that you would instruct your guys to go and say, let's go and sign this guy out? Being ambitious. So yeah. throwing really ambitious names yeah. out there. Um, before he signed a contract extension at Man U for a year, Michael Owen. I think you know, someone who's done it at the international stage, you know, done really, um, you know, well, at Liverpool, hugely supported club as well. Mm. Um, Seb, Seb Asser, the Sydney Morning Herald, yeah. has often talked about Ronaldinho, hasn't he? As again, another, yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm, mm. I'm talking big plan. These aren't going to be like, easy people to get. And I don't think every team needs to have one like this. I just think you need to get a couple of them in. So yeah. the, those two names sort of, but, and I think it's kind of an aging player that's played at a really big club. Mm. Yeah. That, that would be for, my for me, that's, that's Giggs then, if he, before he signed his contract extension. Looking to get out of the spotlight. Yeah. Yes, that's another little thing. Um, you can come and learn a few things from Warnie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about someone like uh, Del Piero? Yep. Oh, yeah. Right yep. Mid-30s, play at the highest level, World Cups, big Italian community down here. Mm. Yep. I mean, it's, I suppose, I wonder how it's, you know, I know we're talking about people that are hard to attain, but I mean, are we talking about people impossible to attain? I mean, how hard is it to set? I mean, I, th- I think the lifestyle... Got sold to Yorkie a little bit as well, didn't he? Well, yeah, yeah cool. I mean, but also, you know, let's 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 be realistic. You know, it's a it's a six seven month league. 
30 games. It's in, you know, let's face it, one of the best countries in the world. Mm. It's a summer league, you know, and I, and I think, you know, people that are getting to 30, 32 now, probably looking at it, going, God, my, can my body manage many more European winters for nine or 10 months? Yeah. You know, and if the, you know, if the money's, but also, a lot of these guys have earned more money than they know what to do with. You know, it's like, I, I think... Yeah, but you, t- you tell the agents that. No, that's, you know, yeah, true. You know, they, they'll always... T- once, one player that I thought would be really good, but it'll be hard to tempt him away from the MLS, would be Thierry Henry. Yeah. Um, again, like you know, Trevor said, you know, there's one thing about wanting a player and getting him as another, but I just think at his age now, I mean, he's playing a pretty long season. I mean, it's, I think, March to November now in, in the MLS. I think that would suit him perfectly. He's the sort of player who is very well known with non-football fans. Yeah. Mm. And with the fact that he's, uh, I think he's a Nike guy, isn't he? Thierry Henry? Yeah. You know, yeah, whoever's got was, Nike yeah. kicks yeah. here, kind of all. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I know it's a bit of a, a risky manoeuvre, but I mean, what if there was a suitable candidate that might come as a player manager or, you know, someone who's going to play for his last year and do assistant coaching or something like that? Well, Robbie Fowler, maybe. Gigs, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you know, Fowler's that the sort of thing that, you know, we wanted it sort of wore off a little bit at the end, but, you know, is that an option? Someone who wants to, you know, cut their teeth coaching a little bit? Mm. I don't know. I think, I think if you're thinking of sort of like communities, I think also you've got to think of the Greek community here. I mean, if there is a really big name from Greece, it would drag in the crowds. I know Giorgio Samaras who's coming here to play for Celtic. I know a lot of Greek fans in Melbourne, very keen to see him. Mm. So it would be good to get perhaps a player who isn't that well known outside of Greece, but is a big Greek mm. name or, to come here. Or I mean, it's, hap- it's happened before. Yeah. The Greeks pull massive crowds. Yeah. yeah, or an Asian marquee in you know Sydney or another city. You know. Yeah. Uh, who would that be? What countries? Japan, North Korea, uh, South Korea. Who's um, the guy that's at Celtic? His name's escaped. Nakamura. Nakamura, mm. yeah. Someone like that, yeah. All right, well, not sure whether we've come up with any answers there, but it's an interesting discussion. Bring though, back Dwight. We, you know, we will see whether, <laughs> the, uh, whether the, any of the clubs you know, do have the, the nerve, which I think you'd probably say it will take, you know, the real nerve to to break ranks and go and bring in a big-name marquee player. And, and I guess you know, it is obviously skewed to, to the bigger clubs because they have the most to gain, you know, as in from a crowd perspective and an uplift perspective and a membership perspective. Um, but we'll see a lift with the smaller grounds as well, wouldn't you? Like- yeah, yeah, but I, 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 know, I guess you look at your supporter base, you look at how many shirts you could sell, you look at how many memberships mm. you could sell, and you probably think, well, OK, well, it's probably going to always be down to the Melbournes and the Sydneys to lead the way on that. But... Um, but yeah, so it'd be interesting to see, and obviously the queue to Melbourne, Sydney, Newcastle rolls on. We'll see where that goes. Any mm. latest on that, Trev? No, yeah. you know, seems seems to have gone a little bit quiet on that front the last week or so. Mm. I really hope he. Come well, we had, the, we had this dream team of Melbourne. There was uh, a moment yesterday <laughs> when we fought Kiel to Melbourne and yeah. Shevchenko to Sydney and it all was going to be right in the We had front cover, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, and that was the opener as well. I think we're playing our... Yeah. All right, we can dream. Well, still, good news is, is that there's still, what is it, three months to the seat, start so, of the season. So uh, there's still plenty of time for them to sort it out. But let's hope that we do get a couple of uh, genuine marquee players to enjoy uh, for this season. Yeah. I just wanted to say also, uh, just a big plug for the football for all... Uh, people this Sunday in New South Wales. Football for All is for uh, people with special needs and disabilities. Football New South Wales are putting it on this Sunday. So go to the Football New South Wales website and it's part of the FFA's uh, Disability Month. Excellent. Yeah. Nice work, Aido. Also on our website yesterday, we put up if you bought a new pair of boots this season, uh, we want to hear from you. We want to know what you bought, whether 
who wore them, which professional players, whether that influenced your decision, trying to find out whether you've all gone out and bought your orange Adidas Adi Zeros, because Messi's been ripping up the world with them. Uh, so you can win a pair of uh, Adidas boots by heading onto the website and uh, take the survey. It'll only take you about five minutes. Um, but yeah, and also, obviously, don't forget, in the, as you build up to the Women's World Cup, our Matilda's issue is still on sale. Uh, and if you've got an iPad, go to the App Store and it's free to download. So um, pick it up at the news agents or head to the to iTunes or the App Store. That's all for this week. Thanks, Trev. Thanks, Ado. And we're going to be taking a break for the next two weeks. Well, because congratulations are in order for you, aren't they? Because I'm off to get married. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so I should be back as a married man. Obviously very different. Very my sensible. Life's, my life's will you be taking the iPad with you, Jacko? Of course I will, yeah. It's still, still be, going on, still be on Twitter. Uh, oh, I've been banned. Really? I've been banned from uh, from work emails and phone calls. So the mobile's been put in the safe. So you're under the thumb already? Yeah, I've been under the thumb for eight years. <laughs> <laughs> That's nothing new. So yeah, so I should be back in a couple of weeks, and we'll uh, we'll reconvene then. Thanks for listening. 442 Insider is a Helms Media Solutions production. Visit helms.com.au to find out more about our services.